Welcome back to Subcut, the medical-ish podcast where we get under the skin of things that might be interesting to you if you're a high schooler, a medical student, a doctor, or just anyone interested in the healthcare pathway. My name is Justin. I used to be a doctor. My name is Neil. I'm a fourth-year medical student. My name is Emma. I'm a third-year physiotherapy student. And today we are interviewing a special guest and we'll flick to the interview soon and uh, we'll, we'll... input our reactions and commentaries and any additional little points that we think are relevant but we'll just jump straight into it we're talking to liz or elizabeth berryman from channel who's a doctor a mother it was a nurse um, has a bunch of roles in new zealand if you search for her name on google i'm sure you'll find one or two campaigns that she's led incredible person um, so let's just dive into the interview and see what she has to say okay so we're joined by elizabeth berryman um, who uh, I'll let you introduce yourself properly in a bit, uh, but your journey is a little bit, I guess, in a way atypical. And that's the reason why I, I want to talk to you and discuss with you about it. But long story short, condensed, it's you started off as a nurse mm-hmm. and then you moved through to medicine. You're, you're a doctor now. And you also have a new thing that you started on top of that, looking at uh, more public health and, and mental health mm-hmm. um, in the, in the, digital space on top of that. So there's a lot of things that we can talk about here and I think it'll be a really interesting perspective to get into. So thanks for coming on to the show, yeah, first of all. Thanks for having me. So let's uh, let's just jump into it. Let's just jump into the first thing. Let's just start all the way back from when you were a, because before you were a nurse, you were just a high, fresh high school graduate. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So what, what was your mind space at that time when you were leaving high school, mm-hmm. thinking about what you're gonna go into? Sure. So when I was eight years of age, um, I well, I grew up on a farm and um, my uncle said, oh, I'm going to go and um, have some home kill uh, with the, the sheep. And so I said, oh, I want to come. And he goes, oh, that's a bit strange for an eight-year-old. But he took me along and I was absolutely fascinated with the offal. <laughs> so all the guts that came out of the sheep. And he said, that's very strange for an eight-year-old to want to yeah. go and prod the heart and ask questions about the stomach and how it all worked. And he goes, this kid's interested in science. <laughs> it could, you, your life really could have taken a, a really dark turn, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. in another. <laughs> that's, it could have. That's it like the beginning of a serial <laughs> of a killer. Story, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, and so um, ever since then, I was really interested in animal husbandry and looking after um, things on the farm. And that got me really interested in helping um, people from a medical perspective mm-hmm. uh, and with health conditions. So, um, yeah, I, I really wanted to be a doctor. And I would tell everybody, and I went through high school, and um, yeah, I was I was setting myself up to go to medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, fortunately, my boyfriend at the time actually got a brain tumor. Oh. Mm. Um, and he sadly passed away of cancer. Wow. Yeah, so that was when I was 17 in my final year of high school. Wow. And um, yeah, as you can imagine, my grades took a huge dive during that time, um, and I decided that, in fact, I would go to nursing school instead. Mm. Uh, And I actually got a scholarship to go to AUT. So then I was like, oh, it's kind of sorted then. I'll go to AUT and I'll study nursing. Let's let's pause there. So when when you decided to do nursing, Mm -hmm. was that kind of you were sort of thinking that you would eventually go back into medicine after that? Or was that sort of thinking, okay, it's still along the lines of helping people in that medical capacity? Yeah, it was still along the lines of helping people and it aligned with my values um, and my vision of, of, of helping as many people as I possibly could. Yeah. So that's why nursing was a great option. Mm. And I'm sure we're going to go into this uh, in, a, in another, another episode where we really talk about nursing properly. But mm. I mean, I think one of the things that a lot of, especially younger students don't know is that nursing does have a wide uh, variety of career paths and di- diversifications and the journey through it can be quite long Mm. as well um a lot of different types of nurses and lots of further training and things absolutely um so i think a lot of people don't know that they sort of think of a nurse and just they only think of the you know person at that bedside Mm -hmm. who is or the hospital nurse, just the hospital nurse or maybe the the gp clinic nurse or Mm -hmm. something but there's a lot of different levels so anyway we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit more depth in another episode we'll get more into you know nursing as a career but okay so you you went into nursing Mm -hmm. um and then what was the thought process or journey from there? 
Yeah, so I um, started nursing at 18, mm-hmm. and so I graduated age 20, mm-hmm. and I went straight into emergency department at North Shore Hospital, um, which is great, and I did my new graduate year there, and I absolutely loved it. I loved ED, I loved the... the um, yeah, just the, the high stakes, I think, mm-hmm. in ED. I love working in recess uh, in particular and on triage. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed my nursing. And then I went to the outback of Australia. When, when was this? So after my first year of nursing. So after the first year of nursing. Yeah, so I was 21. Yeah. <laughs> so still quite young. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I went into a place called Roeburn, which is um, Western Australia, and there was no doctors in sight. It was me, the registered nurse, and a healthcare assistant. This is a emergency, like rural. Yeah. I had an eight bed hospital. Mm. Yeah, and it was um, mostly a mining town, um, and it also had a large indigenous population as well. Mm. Yeah. Okay, how long were you there for? So I was only there for twelve weeks, mm. um, but it was one of the best experiences of my life. Okay, so yeah. let's let's fast forward now. Coming back from that, yeah, because that would have been a obviously it was a memorable experience mm-hmm. for you. Did that change things for you after doing that? Where was the kind yeah. of because how long how do how long did you do, do nursing for actually five years five years so you mm-hmm. were in it for a, mm-hmm. a a lot longer than that so what was yeah. what happened after that in the coming years to eventually move you back into medicine Yeah, sure. So that was when I decided that I actually really did want to be a doctor. Yeah. So uh, I was in the outback, um, and if you had a patient who came in, you'd do your assessment. You'd ring the rural rural doctor uh, in Perth Hospital, you'd talk through um, the patient that you had in front of you, uh, and sometimes we'd do telehealth, so we would turn on the video and we know we'd do the consult with the doctor in Perth as well. Mm. Um, then I'd fax through the prescription, they'd sign it off, we'll do a standing order, um, and then they'd fax it back and I'd sort the patient. Mm. Um, and so that was my first introduction to digital health as well, yeah. which is good. But I actually really liked the diagnosing part mm-hmm. of it and the prescribing. Um, and I was always asking more and more questions and why, but why did you do that for that patient? And, um, yeah, really wanted just to, to be able to do the whole lot for my patients. Mm. So that's when I was like, okay, I want to go to medical school. Mm. And that's kind of one of the key differences between nurses and doctors, right? Is that as a nurse, you can, any nurse can ask the, why does it happen that way? Or, you know, therefore, what can we do about it? But there is sort of a power limitation in terms of what that knowledge allows you to then, do even if you know what it is or mm-hmm. why or what to do about it you, you can't really actually do it because you need the sign off or the authority yeah it wasn't so much like that because i went on and actually became a nurse practitioner mm. where i did get to do the diagnosing and prescribing i think it's that it was the the knowledge behind it mm-hmm. it was like in nursing we only had a certain level i wanted to go deeper i wanted to know why they were making the decisions that they were making i wanted to actually know the science of it and the full picture, which I think um, sometimes in nursing we jumped over a bit. So mm. yeah, I wanted a deeper knowledge. Okay, so tell me about being a nurse practitioner. What does that mean? Yeah, um, so oh, so just to backtrack, so then I tried to get into medical school um, and they said, well, we don't take your nursing grades. Right. <laughs> and they said, we suggest that you do some other study, a postgraduate study and use those grades to get into medical school. Now that, is that because you did your nursing at AUT or is it because it'd been a few years since you'd graduated? Uh, no, it hadn't been a few years. Um, so I think there is some stigma around the politics and right. AUT. Yeah. Right, right. Um, cause if I had done nursing at Auckland uni, it would have, they would have counted it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they said, because you can't calculate a GPA on those polytech grades when you can calculate a GPA on your Auckland uni grades. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that was unfortunate. But anyway, so they said do some postgraduate study. Mm. So I did my master's in health science with a nurse practitioner. Right, right. Mm, and I did that at AUT. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> to stick it to the so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I loved it. I loved mm. doing my master's. Yeah, it was really great. And you ended up actually going to medical school in Otago. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. So, yeah. So, so okay, let's let's go back to the nurse practitioner thing because yeah. a lot of people won't know what that means or sure. what it involves. Mm-hmm. So uh, just talk me through what it is, first of all. Mm-hmm. Sure. So a nurse practitioner is an advanced nurse. So um, you usually have a scope of practice. Uh, you can have like a child health scope of practice or you could have, uh, so for instance, I had sexual health scope of practice. Um, and now they've actually opened it up so you can actually have a general scope of practice as well. Um, but usually you would work in a one particular area um, as an advanced nurse. And basically you can be the same as like a registrar level. Uh, as a doctor. So um, what, what does that mean if we, if we really break down the so difference? you have prescribing rights? Yeah. 
So you have designated prescribers, which some nurses are designated prescribers, and they're not nurse practitioners. Mm. Nurse practitioners mean that they have the full rights to prescribe. Mm. Yeah, or diagnose and prescribe. Yeah. And can they prescribe anything that they want? Within their scope of practice. Right. And that scope of practice is very department or rather, you know, whatever, they're, they're working in specialty specific. Yeah. But say if you're a general practice nurse practitioner, mm-hmm. the scope is very wide. There's, mm. You know, pretty much no limit to what you can prescribe. So then what, what what was the difference then between being a nurse practitioner versus being a doctor? Yeah, yeah. I think because I'd already made that decision I wanted to be a doctor, I just wanted to keep pursuing that. Um, but yeah, I think there's still a ceiling for nurses. Um, I worked with one in my first year of doctoring, actually, at um, Waitakere Hospital. Nurse practitioner, and you nurse mean? practitioner in yes. um, gerontology. A- absolutely incredible, but she was still very frustrated because she wasn't the same as a consultant. Mm. She wasn't an SMO. She was still at a registrar level, mm-hmm. even though she was very much capable of being at a consultant level. In terms of, so when 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 we think about where the frustration is coming from, that ceiling is that a knowledge ceiling, a authority ceiling, an authority ceiling. authority ceiling? Yeah. yeah. Now, I, obviously, I've worked with nurse, pra- nurse practitioners as well, mm. and often I, it's just like as a first year house officer, especially if you're in a new run, mm-hmm. that nurse practitioner just knows everything. You just they're your main go to person because yeah. sometimes they're a lot friendlier than the registrars can be as well. That's uh, senior to you. So, okay, so you were a nurse practitioner. How long did you do that for? So um, you have to do an internship, and there was nobody willing to take me for an internship. So there was a kind GP at Windsor Medical Centre on the North Shore, and he said, I'll take you for your internship, but I need a practice manager. Right. So can you please do both? So a practice manager <laughs> is, in a nutshell, is, is exactly what it sounds like. There's a medical practice, and they're the person that really manages the operations of that practice mm-hmm. and 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 usually also is able to do that with the healthcare background and knowledge not just like a running a business unit um so okay it was still very business and, and but it is yeah. very businessy yeah I was so really it's surprised a very doing all the funding models and mm. um also we we worked out how we could increase revenue because actually it's quite hard to make money in general practice um and so because it was mostly a asian population clinic uh, we did immigration medicals and things like that so i made some business cases and presented them um, which I never thought I would be doing, but now I realize um, that was all leading to me doing what I do now. Yeah, so, which yeah. we're going to get to really soon. Yeah. Okay, so we had we have you then uh, doing practice managing as well as being uh, doing your internship for a nurse practitioner. Yeah. That internship was one what, year. One year. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then after that, you. I then got into medical. <laughs> ah, okay. All right. Yeah. So I finished my internship and then went straight to Otago. Right. So one of the questions that we get asked a lot is about going into medicine when you're already in your like maybe mid twenties or something. And then they're thinking, oh, when I graduate, I'm going to be in my late twenties or early thirties or something like that. Or, or even, you know, late thirties, you know, going mm-hmm. into medical school when you're already 30. Mm-hmm. What would be your thoughts around the idea of going into medical school a few years later. Yeah, so I think we had the oldest person in my cohort, uh, and he was 42. Yeah. There you go. So it's not too late. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, was a, I think he was a senior lecturer in genetics. Um, amazing. And, um, yeah, absolutely fitted in with the class, and no one better than I lived that he was actually a lot older than us. Yeah, mm. it was fine. Yeah, so it's, it's fine, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just fine. It yeah. is, and there was like a whole, I, I don't know what Auckland Uni was like, but in Otago, they've got a special entry called the other category. Um, <laughs> and so that's for people who have worked for five years or more mm-hmm. in um, something pri- previously to going into medical school. Um, and usually they weight it towards the allied health, so midwives, paramedics, nurses. Mm. Um, and so that other category, we kind of stick together pretty close. There's like 25 of us. And um, yeah. Yeah, and... If it's anything like the same as just postgraduate, mm. I'm going to guess that that other category actually has some real advantages over the undergrads when it comes to actually just going through the medical study and just being good at the whole experience of medical school and learning and being a doctor. Is that kind of the case as well for this? Yeah, but we both bring our strengths, you know, yeah. like, um, I know this is terrible, but we used to call them the kids. Mm-hmm which is the young ones straight from <laughs> straight from high school entry. <laughs> um, so the kids would bring their strengths, you know. Like we really loved um, getting to know them and seeing what they would bring, and they were usually insanely intelligent. 
Um, and then we're us, they called us the dinosaurs. Yeah. And we used to sit in Jurassic Park together in the lecture theatre. Um, so it went both ways. Um, so as dinosaurs, um, we would bring, you know, life experience and, you know... Um, I think a, a lot of times people come to me with their relationship problems and yeah, all those sorts of things. So you that. became, kind of, <laughs> you know, became the became the older ones in the group, and we had a great community. And I think it was really neat that we had that range of ages. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of if you're a student that's currently, you know, gearing up to be one of the kids that you're 16, 17, whatever, you're going into the pre medical year. You're looking at trying to get into medical school the first time. Maybe it doesn't go so well. I mean, at the end of the day fast forward 10, 20 years down the line, I mean, how much difference does that really make adding on a few more years? I mean, experience is experience, life is life. It, it's going to be, yeah. you know, it could be, it could be an, and has been, I think, for a lot of my previous students, they've said it's the best thing that's ever happened to them not getting into medical school the first time around because of the level of experience that mm -hmm. um, it gave them. I would actually agree with that. Yeah. If I went from high school into medical school, I don't think I would have the life experience to appreciate mm the great privilege it was to go to medical school. I went in from high school. I didn't have the life experience to appreciate. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's just true. I honestly believe that it's true. I think something like a cadaver lab, mm. if I did a cadaver lab today, I would find it so much more valuable and I would appreciate opportunity mm -hmm. so much more than when I was a 18, 19 year old, second year medical student. Mm -hmm. And it's, you, you almost, you're 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 almost in a way blind to the privilege that you have because it's just part of the course and then you earned your way into the course but yeah it's really not absolutely. the case absolutely. okay let's get back into the journey so you're into medical school mm -hmm. at that point and then that's uh five years further of medical school that you're um doing it did you take Six any years uh, so you entered in <laughs> so did you um although the other category existed uh because again they didn't like the fact that we went to a polytech um, they made a lot of us others uh, go and do the first year house science again. Ah, okay. And we had to get a B average right. to be able to get into yeah. medical school. Okay. So it was a six year journey for us. Yeah. Okay. So then six years yeah. later, so you're, you're going through medical school. Okay. Let, let and just on that, yeah. it took me five attempts to get into medical school. The persistence is key. <laughs> I really, really wanted it. Yeah. I really wanted it. Yeah. Okay. So five attempts. So, so five attempts later, six years after that, mm -hmm. you have finished medical school. Mm -hmm. Let's pause there before you've just started working. You and your mindset and your thoughts on medicine at that time, mm -hmm. how did that, how was that different by the time you'd finished medical school compared to at the very beginning when you'd just come in? So I did a lot of leadership things during my time at medical school. Um, when I was second year, they decided to change the student loans. Um, good old Stephen Joyce. <laughs> I remember this. Uh, yeah, you remember this. That's and actually so when I think I may have actually met you ah. then for the very first time at the uh, New Zealand Medical Association Student Association Conference okay. in Auckland. Yes. You attended that, right? Yeah, I did. I actually remembered randomly recently uh, when I was talking to Jess okay. uh, from Channel that I actually met you in the pool at, oh. the, at the Langham Hotel that we're staying at. <laughs> Yeah, it was a between like a dinner event or something. <laughs> okay. And then I was like, oh, you're one of the conference attendees. And that's actually where I had first, first met you. Okay. And then, and then I uh, met you again through something through like your advocacy work and all yes. of that sort of stuff that yes. you became a lot well, more well-known for. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, So what happened was when they changed the student loan system, they made it that you could only get seven years of student loan. Um, and as you can tell, I've done nursing degree three years, then I did my postgraduate diploma, another two years, then my master's, another two years, and then I did some research, so that was up to like six years already mm. <laughs> before I even got to medical school. <laughs> and then I was on looking down the barrel of another six years. Yeah. Um, and so I was out. I was mm. out of student loan, and um, a lot of my other category friends were also um, out of student loan, and so I took it upon myself to go and knock on parliament and say, hey, can you make an exemption for medical students and for long degrees, mm -hmm. such as dentistry and vets as well. Mm. And we and actually the entire Medical Associ Students Association had a mm. huge push huge. for that a massive campaign yeah. that we, in fact, th there was the petition, I remember, yeah. um, like the, I can't remember which website it was on, but it, it generated something crazy. I can't remember the number. Mm, like 25,000 people. Within like two days or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was crazy, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that, so that was a huge success. And actually, it 
So we won, right? Yeah. And it did get yep. overturned. Yep. So um, went over Stephen Joyce and went to uh, John Key and Bill English. <laughs> went straight to the top and said, hey, can you help us out? And so, yeah, um, yeah that was really interesting, navigating that political landscape. Um, and I really enjoyed doing that. Mm. And that surprised me. And then um, it came up that there was a Targo Medical Students Association president role. And um, usually it went to um, one of the kids. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry, I shouldn't say that. Um, and um, I thought, oh, actually, no, it's time for a change. Let's see if uh, one of the old dinosaurs can run it. And um, so I threw my name in the hat and um, they voted me in and I was the Otago president. So that was in my third year. Third year, okay. Yeah. Any other leadership things in third year? Oh, lots. But okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was the main one? That was the main one. All right. Yeah. Fourth year? What, what were the other things? So then it was that? about the end of third year that my husband said to me, he goes, I don't think you're going to be a doctor, Liz. <laughs> and I was like, whatever. This is my dream. Like, have you not seen how hard I have worked to get to this place? Like, um, it's, it's been my, it's been my um, yeah, absolute passion. And he goes, no, I think you're going to do something else. You probably do something health related, but you're going to do something else. And, um, yeah, so that's that's what sparked off something in my head at fourth year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started getting involved in digital health as mm-hmm. well and health technology. Uh, so that's when I joined HIMSS, which mm-hmm. is Health Informatics New Zealand, which is a fantastic organisation, um, and managed to do a collaboration with the New Zealand Medical Students Association and with HIMSS. Um, so, yeah, I got involved in a lot of different things that wasn't core medical curriculum. Mm. <laughs> and by by the time you you were graduating medical school, you had had your had a lot of experience in things that a typical medical student probably wouldn't have mm. had experience mm. in. Yeah. You're now working as a first year house officer, uh, and that's always a, a big jump for uh, most people. Mm-hmm. How did you find that experience? Um, so there's a little bit more. There's a little bit of that puzzle that I have to skip there, yeah. um, and that is that I actually ended up getting pregnant in my final year <laughs> of medical school. Um, and so I uh, finished my final exam, which is a radiology exam, on the Friday, and then I actually had the baby on the Monday. So didn't really leave much gap at all between medical school and, and having the baby. Okay, so let's let's talk about that a little bit more because okay. a lot of young women are having that concern or that question: mm. What do I want to? If I want to start a family, how does that work? Yeah. You know, all those questions around yeah. that. And all my nursing friends, they were all having kids and having you know families and things like that. And here I was down in Otago, just doing mm. my medical school. <laughs> so what is what is that like? I mean, how is is it as complicated and as bad as? It might seem to be. No, so they have a, um, a medical parents group in Otago Uni, which is great. And like there was a probably a, a one baby a year in my class. Yeah. So, so it's really common. Yeah, and they just bring the baby along to tutorials and along to lectures. And, and during school holidays, the kids would just play at the back of the lecture theatre. Yeah, it was very inclusive, actually. So a common question that I'll often get asked is, do I, do I have to wait till I graduate to get married? Do I have mm. to wait till I graduate to... You know, is there that perfect window before you become a train, like a, a pro, uh, special this trainee versus graduating, where it's like the perfect window to have a kid and start a family and all these sorts of questions. Mm. To, to people that have these questions, what would you sort of say in brief? There's no perfect time to have children. It just happens, but it happens. Um, also, it's no perfect time to find your par- life partner. You don't know when you're going to fall in, fall in love with someone. Um, and because you spend so much time with your fellow medical students, uh, I think there's a statistic floating there's around. A, there is, like twenty yeah, percent yeah. of us marry each other. I think it might be higher than that. Actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, I know at least six or seven marriages that have come out of my year alone. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's a there's a term that goes around in medical school called medcest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, which is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, yeah, so um, I think that just go with it. Just because you're on this six year training program doesn't mean that life stops mm. um life keeps going and and if you want to have a family you have a family if you want to get married you get married and it doesn't ha- it won't necessarily derail you the program can accommodate for it and there are some ex- exceptions especially mm-hmm. when you get later into training which we'll talk about in another episode in a more depth but generally speaking especially earlier on especially before you've committed into a training program there is quite a bit of flexibility yeah do that and yeah. it's not so bad we are advocating for better um conditions for yeah. especially for medical mums yeah. um because if you took time off to have a baby they'd make you make it up in your holidays mm. which we didn't think was that fair but mm. um yeah it's still it's still doable and yeah. it's still yeah it's fine okay so then then you started working 
Yes, so yep. um, I took one quarter off and I was going to go back in second quarter, uh, which was February. And um, so our baby was Elijah and he was three months old. And I drove through the front gates of the hospital and I just burst into tears. And I, I can't do this. I can't leave my three month oh, old no. in daycare. <laughs> um, and so I rang them up and said, I'm not starting. <laughs> so you took another quarter off? I took the whole year oh, off. I took the whole year off. Well, yeah, they were a bit annoyed at me. Yeah. But Oh, but the they'll day. be annoyed at you for anything. <laughs> yeah, they will be. And this yeah. is the, the NRA, you know, in the yeah. Northern Regional Alliance. Um, so, yeah, they said, oh, well, if you're not going to start now, then you'll have to start next qu- next year. Yeah. Quarter one. And I was like, okay, that's fine. fine. Yeah. Yeah. I just think my family's more important right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Interesting so far. And now we're going to get into another interesting part. Okay, tell me about Channel. Okay. Tell me about where that came from, why that is and what the current situation is yeah really. sure okay if so. you're if you're if you're only listening on the podcast sorry to interrupt you know you're wearing the channel oh yes t-shirt I am so wearing channel t-shirt yeah yep. um, um so without you, the without the vowels without the vowels because we're cool like that <laughs> i was hoping there'd be a deeper meaning but uh, well there is and i'll explain that um yep. but the reason why we took the vowels out is because of the google search because every time you typed in channel it would oh, come yeah, up with true. like tb3 mm-hmm. or sky yep. and so yeah we, we, we did that for the google search um, but yeah, so I was fourth year medical student. Mm-hmm. I was president of the New Zealand Medical Students Association. I was leading all these advocacy programs and it was my first run on a surgical ward. Mm. I thought, yes, I'm a nurse. I'm finally going to be able to show them what I know. Watch out kids. You might be smart, but I know how a ward works. <laughs> um, but unfortunately it wasn't the experience that I hoped it to be. Mm. I was put with a notorious surgeon Mm. um, who just decided that I was way too confident for him and that I needed to be shown my place. Uh, He would grill me in front of every patient. Um, He would even say things about what I was wearing. It wasn't appropriate. Um, And, you know, it was totally professional clothes. There was Mm. nothing wrong with my clothes. Um, Things like, oh, my glasses. I was wearing glasses at the time and they were much too big for your face. Unacceptable. <laughs> this is the same surgeon in theatre who would um, find some blunt pair of scissors and instead of asking for new scissors, he would just throw them across the theatre room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That type yeah. of stuff happens and it's unacceptable. And it's, uh, I think thankfully it, it is, there's a lot less of it now. And I know that the colleges, uh, when I say colleges, I mean training colleges for specialties, they are cracking down on this type of behaviour a lot mm. more. Um, and so people are aware of it. But especially some of the older generation doctors, uh, have been notorious for it, but it's a lot less now, thankfully. But anyway. Yeah. So here I was going on live 7 a.m. breakfast TV and then walking into the ward. I saw that. Being, I gr- that. <laughs> being grilled and then totally losing it. Mm. So here I was on one hand trying to put up this big facade of who I was and then I was really struggling. Mm. I had um, bouts of anxiety. I was having panic attacks, even thinking about walking onto the ward. Mm. Uh, even going into the hospital, I'd start to have a panic attack. Wasn't sleeping. I started getting you know, signs of depression. Mm. Um, and this was just a six-week placement. You know? And I think it's so important to say that this is not an uncommon story. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know so many students that have had almost verbatim the same type of experience that you've had, especially women in medicine, mm-hmm. are much more likely to be bullied in the workplace and undermined. So and so for anyone who doesn't know yet, Liz, you really kind of led the anti-bullying campaign. Well, after this, yes, that's the next bit of the and story. And that's, that's where it leads to. <laughs> yes, okay. it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then um, I, I said, well, I can't do this anymore. Mm. I thought I wasn't good enough to be a doctor. I actually didn't re- recognise that it was bullying, mm. and I just thought it was actually me. Mm. Um, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm not good enough. I can and totally understand how ha- you could... We have this imposter syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. In medicine, we yeah. go, oh my gosh, I don't deserve to be here. Some There's been a mistake. They let me into med school. They're going to find out that I'm not real. Um, this whole thing that goes on in our minds, I don't know why, but it's very common mm. in, in research as well. Um, so I went to the dean of the medical school and I sat down with him and I said, look, I'm just not cut out to be a doctor. Yeah. I'm going to quit. Mm. And he laughs at me. Yeah. And he goes, you can't quit? What, what do you mean? You're like, amazing, you can't quit. And I'm like, oh, thanks, but no, I'm really not doing well. Um, and I'm obviously failing surgery. And he goes, oh, yeah, you're failing surgery. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I said, oh, what should I do? And he goes, oh, I think you should toughen up. Mm. 
It's always the st- first first critical step, right? Yeah, be more resilient. Mm-hmm. I now hate that word, resilient. Yeah. Because I'm like, you don't know how resilient I am. It took me five attempts to get into medical school. Yeah. Do more yoga. Very resilient. A, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, and so he goes, on, go see, go see ca- a counsellor. Mm-hmm. So I did one of those things, and I went to see the counsellor, mm. and she's like, oh, my gosh, that's bullying. Mm. And that's when it dawned on me for the first time that maybe it wasn't me. Maybe maybe this guy actually had some behavior problems. Mm. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, it's bullying. Um, and then she gave me some tips on how to stand up to a bully, and I've got a whole story around that, which we probably don't have time for, but I managed to sit down with him and say, hey, this is how you make me feel. Yeah. Um, can you please help me? Mm. And um, he said, oh, you're not the first person to tell me that, you, you know, I make yeah. people feel that way. Yeah, and I was like, um, but yeah, that was a scary moment going and mm. facing, you know, top top surgeon. Yeah. Um, so anyway, from that, that led to me speaking about my experience. So I was telling people, I was like, look, I actually experienced bullying and this is my, the effect on my mental health and this is what we're going to do about it. And there was an avalanche. Like yeah, yeah, people yeah. would come up to me, like even like other senior medical doctors would come up to me and be like, oh, you know, I was bullied when I was a junior and, you know, it needs to stop. And this was before all the Royal College of Surgeons and all the, you know, what you yeah. talked about actually happened. And so I was like one of the first people raising the flag on it. And um, so it was quite it was quite scary, but I started speaking about my experience to the media. Got on the front page of the Herald. Um, and uh, it was really cool because a lot of the students actually gave us permission to use their stories mm. um, to show what was really happening. Mm. Um, it just shows how much of a real movement there was about it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And so we did a survey of all the medical students in New Zealand and we found that 54% had experienced bullying or sexual harassment mm. whilst on placement in the past year. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say 54%, honestly, for me, sounds like an underreported. I, I it's suspect it would be r- the real number would be higher than that. Mm. Uh, and so once we started making a bit of a ruckus, I got in trouble again with the deans. Mm-hmm. What are you doing bringing our medical profession into disrepute? Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the same time, the Royal College of Surgeons uh, they started their survey with their trainees, and they found the same. Yeah. They found about 50% um, had been experienced bullying during their surgical training. Um, and then the RDA, they did a similar one as well, which mm-hmm. is the Resident Doctors um, Union. And um, so then there was like three pieces of evidence now leading towards that we have a problem. Mm. Um, and yeah, thank goodness it was at the right time. Um, hashtag Me Too also kicked off oh, really? just after that. Yeah. So that was 2015, 2016. Mm. Um, and yeah, there was just like a whole groundswell of change in society in general saying actually bullying is not okay in any profession. Mm. Yeah. And so that experience laid the foundation for what would become channel. Is that sort of the segue? Yeah. So that is, so then I started doing more and more research. So nobody was getting into this workplace mental health, um, side of things. And especially with that bullying and sexual harassment, discrimination kind of, um, side to it. Uh, there was a lot of ock health, but there wasn't really that whole getting into those really tricky issues like right. bullying. Yeah. Right. So then I like, made it my mission to <laughs> research that. And we had a research group in Otago calling, called CAPEL, Creating a Positive Learning Environment. Mm-hmm. And so we've published about six um, international publications now um, trying to look at solutions. Just in the last uh, yes, four years. Four years. Yeah. Yeah. In the BMJ and, wow. and international conferences. Wow, yeah. that's very impressive. Yeah, like especially in such a short time period, especially on top of everything else yeah, that we know that it was yeah, going on, and doing TI yeah. and being pregnant. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's great. So, so tell, so tell me about Channel. What, like, what is it for the people sure. that aren't um, familiar? You know, what is it about, and where, where are you seeing things mm, going? Absolutely. So, part of the research, um, the part that I did with the group was around focus groups. So we got people in, like nurses, doctors, medical students, and said. What do you want to help with your mental health in the workplace? What do you want to start to tackle bullying and sexual harassment? And they said that they wanted an app. Mm. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, 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 you don't want an app. Yeah. There is <laughs> an app out there for everything. And they said, no, we want an app. And I said, okay, tell me why. They want to be able to have an anonymous, safe channel to be able to voice what was going on for them. Yeah. You can't just like walk into the dean's office and say how all things are going. You don't mm. want to be labelled a troublemaker. Mm. Um, sometimes it's quite subtle, mm. so you don't know whether you should 
report it or not. Mm. But it's still affecting things. That's a good point. Um, the other thing is that they wanted to be able to do it 24-7. They wanted to be able to do it on the weekends when they had time to report things. They wanted to be able to give feedback when at 2 o'clock in the morning when, when you know, you're awake at night and you can't sleep and you're actually like, actually, that was a pretty shitty situation. Mm. I want to tell someone about it. Um, and they wanted it to be anonymous. So if we had it, the medical school had developed one that was like on their portal, yeah. on like Moodle or whatever you guys have at Auckland Uni. Yeah. Um, that And they said, well, people can walk past and they can see us typing and yeah. it's logged to our username so we could be traced. So they wanted something that was on their personal smartphone, personal phone. Mm. Yeah. So I said, okay. So we developed the first app. Uh, as another medical student who kindly did that, and we did the first trial at Otago, and people used it, and they loved it. And every day they would tell us what happened to them, positive things as well, like, yeah. actually, my boss was amazing today. I actually learned so much. Um, and then other things like exam stress or, you know, someone said that they, they're moldy and they were mistaken for the cleaner mm, um, yeah. and things like that. You know, it's things that they probably would never tell anyone else, yeah. but it's actually really important for the medical school to know that's happening. Mm. Um, and so then we aggregated all that data, anonymized it, and then gave it to the medical school so that they can make changes. Mm. Um, and so then everybody was like, that's amazing. And I presented it at the Royal College of Surgeons in Adelaide. And they were like, this is great. Can we have it in, in our hospital? And I was like, well, it's a research project. <laughs> oh, right, because at the time it, hadn't, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't such, a thing, right? no, no. It was still part of that CAPEL research group. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. And so I was like, okay. And then um, I was actually taking that year off because I wasn't working in the hospital, right, because right. I had Elijah. And um, I had an email from Middlemore Hospital, and they said, hey, can we have your app? And we've got some funding. We'll pay you for it. Mm. And I was like, oh, That's okay. a perfect uh, dialogue to have. Maybe we can do something. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so I went to um, Auckland University at yeah. that point to say, hey, can you help? They sent me to Auckland Uni Services. They put me on their commercialization pathway, which I had no idea what that was, um, which basically means they turn you into a, a social enterprise, mm. a business. Yeah. yeah. And then that's you now. That's it. Yeah. So, wow. yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Is the summary of that story. Mm. Yeah. I think. I mean, even with the previous week with Art and Nick, it's kind of the same message that comes through to me that it's one of the main things is sort of just like age is just a number and in our heads or societally we have this kind of pathway that we're supposed Absolutely. to follow yeah. and it's like this is the time that you're supposed to do this. And I don't know if you feel this way, Neil, but especially as like an Indian person, mm -hmm. as well as like a Catholic Indian where a lot of my friends are following that pathway, like you go to university, mm -hmm. you get married, you mm -hmm. find a house you're like doing the job you have the kid you know it's yeah. it's just nice to see that time is just an illusion kind mom, of thing mom and dad are sort of like get on with it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and same thing with no, me yeah. and i don't know if yeah. this happens in like korean house oh yeah. your parents are a bit more chill my parents but, are more chill about that, but. <laughs> but my like i like certainly my parents to my brother they're like well you're this old now mm -hmm. you should be doing this and it's just nice to see that in a way for like at my age it's nice to see that everything ends up being okay that not everything is set in stone mm. you don't have to follow the specific pathway <laughs> time is just an illusion and you just if you uh, focus on doing what you love and even if that evolves it's okay yeah kind of yeah. thing i think the favorite part just general just generally about the entire interview is just how unorthodox but still so effective her mm. like pathway through medicine and before medicine really was uh, not that she intended on like planning it that way or going about it with, with that way. How long did it take? 12 years in total then? A long time. Actually, I even mentioned it um, in the in the end of that clip. I actually mm. say like it's, we were so, it was so unexpected how things played out, yeah. but yeah. it would have been, you know, the way yeah. that she yeah. would have yeah. wanted it anyway. And that yeah. resonates with a lot of what people say. Mm. You know, what you hear from these types of messages mm. often is that you just chased your pain. Yeah. Back when I was first starting uh, Foster Our Future, I was in my fifth year of medical school, right? And then I, I spoke with one of the conference speakers who was at one of the Auckland conferences at the time. His mm. name was um, Dr. Dr. Sherrod Paul. He was very well acclaimed, um, mm. widely known um, doctor and author and other things. And uh, he, for whatever freaking reason, he decided to entertain me for a coffee because I asked him to. <laughs> and Maybe he, that's whatever the reason. reason. No, but like, <laughs> is that not the reason? But he actually accepted. <laughs> you Give know, me a coffee. This, this random, uh, you know, fifth year medical student saying, hey, yeah. can, like, I'm really interested. Can I like, can we talk up? Can you like talk about it a little bit more? Mm. 
And he actually said like that if there are if there's something that you're passionate about, because my main issue was I'm passionate about you know multiple things. Where do I go? Like mm. what what am I meant to do? You know the medical community seems to say like you need to be sort of one track, one fixed mind, mm. pursue that. And then on the other hand, it's kind of like well I, I don't really want to. Is that kind of wrong? And he mm. just sort of said just do what you're passionate about and just just do that and don't let other people sort of dictate that or say what you can or can't do just do what you do and just yeah Yeah, and i think really that question when i was asking it at the time i wanted there to be this answer what is the path what should i do yeah the older i get the more i sort of experience i realize there isn't really that answer the the fact that you're looking for it already is kind of off the wrong foot it's just do what you do see where it goes you know trust your ability to adapt and overcome and be flexy and things like that and Mm. just go and see Mm. And um, after this, uh, after this podcast, we had a webinar, right? Mm. We talked about a lot of these things as well, and especially the graduate part. And one of the people who were uh, who had failed to get into medical school from their first year uh, was watching that, and they said that that was like the first time that they really thought, like, "Hey, graduate entry maybe is like really a serious thing." That like yeah. they'd never thought about it before mm. that, and that's so common, right? Like you get a lot of these high schoolers coming in, they don't think about graduate entry. Mm. But really, yeah. that is... And they feel if they don't get in the first go, it's like they weren't meant to be mm. a doctor in mm. a way. Mm. Or they feel like, oh, it probably just wasn't right for me and they'll find something else to do. But it's like, you know what? If you're really passionate about it, there's going to be barriers. But mm. it's like with anything, if you put your mind to it, you pursue it, it is your passion. You chase after it, you'll end up where you're supposed to be yeah. in a way. Yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I can speak for the medical side of things, but you could probably agree for the physio side of things as well that um like a lot of these uh postgraduate students and especially like super grad students we call them super grads um they do so much better they just have figured out so much more about themselves and their life and i guess i don't want to use the word pathways given everything that we just spoke about but um they're a bit more comfortable with the uncertainty and they're a bit more able to uh navigate through it i feel uh with at least less stress for no reason whatsoever we we tend yeah. to stress over every single thing that the we can get our hands on but mm. um they've, they've just got like that's just life like so much move on yeah and even yeah. as an adult they have so many other things going on in their life like they have children as a mortgage yeah they have, a children, yeah, they, <laughs> have, they have all these other things and it's like uni is just a side thing yeah. whereas i feel like at our age it's it often or people that we know as well it often seems like it's just the main thing mm. all the time and it's that just comes with experience mm. as you grow older and and she did the whole um 10-year extension for the the ETFS, is it EFTS? Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember what it stands <laughs> for, but it's just a, like the There's duration that a student, student loan, loan can be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's another that reminded me of another thing because some of my other super grad friends um, would be like particularly pissed when the lecturer didn't turn up for the for the lecture, and we're yeah, like, Woo! Exactly. like this is great, finally, because these guys know what they're paying for, and they know that this is all going to come to a pr- come at some sort of cost and stuff. We don't have to pay for it right now. We've got a student loan; it all feels free. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've, you know, they've already got lives; they're working and stuff. Yeah, and they they really understand the weight of the decision that they're doing and the like the what the what the study actually means for them, which is why I think at least for some part, they end up performing better just because they take it seriously. They appreciate it's, the it's learning. A, yeah, yeah. It's it's not a degree. It's like a prerequisite to how they're going to live their life yeah. in the future. And when we you look at it in that light, it's like, wow. <laughs> like, you know? I think when you look at things, not just like this, but when you look at the perspectives that people have when they're younger, even when you go all the way back to like childhood, mm. and then you see how people change their perspective and look at the trends as they get older and older there are like a few things that stand out Mm. one of those things being that you're more comfortable with the uncertainty yeah well hopefully you you get more comfortable with the certainty um and uh, you i think are very much less black and white about things Mm. because i I was very black and white you know i was very sort of like it's like either this or it's like this so it's it's (laughs) this way or it's this way you know and You almost it has a sense of security associated with that, yeah, and yeah. I, I can think of so many people that are that are like that, mm. you know. And you can see that it's probably not going to get them where they want to go. Mm. Most of the life is going to be in that gray area, yeah. and you just have to be comfortable with that and not knowing the answer. And I think part of that also means, which is another thing I think I observe, is that it's it just becomes so much more about that process. And we've talked about this so many times, but it just becomes more and more about the process mm. rather than the outcome. Mm 
because you don't know what the outcome is going to be because mm -hmm. you're just in the gray area all the time. So yeah. you just kind of hope that the process is what you want it to be. And yeah. then you find enjoyment in the process. And so it just, it just, things become so flipped from how you used to think about things. Let's, um, let's like tease that apart a bit more. Like why do we feel so that, 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 that black and white binary decision-making makes us feel so much more comfortable? Like, I, I, I think it's just because like you can, you can see that if it's going to be this, then you can plan for that, you know, the, the consequence of that. Is that what's what going to come sort of afterwards? Is that what you think? In a way, but I also think that it comes from not having a broader perspective or I guess, yeah, in the sense wanting to have an outcome associated with something mm. rather than just being like... That you can foresee. Yeah. That you, yeah. So basically, like, you can plan ahead, but yeah. it's sort of like it gives you choices. It means that mm. you know what's going to happen next as opposed to... I guess considering other options, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like even going beyond thinking what's just in front of you, for me as well, like in my own experience, I try not to do that because in some ways it does kind of stress me out. <laughs> like, it's I challenging. Don't, in a yeah, way. I don't, yeah. It, it's a challenge. You don't like looking beyond what's in front of you because that means it gives you more things to think about. And instead of seeing that as an opportunity, I see that as just more things to do, mm. which is something that I'm working on. Mm. So, mm. yeah. I, I can't remember if I legit read this off somewhere reputable or if it was secondhand um, <laughs> knowledge about psychology from like some Huffington Post, whatever. From your psychiatrist. <laughs> or whatever, yeah, yeah, from my psychiatrist. <laughs> if you don't get that, please Watch rewind episode, a few episodes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think part of it is because when you're young, um, you need, you, you're sort of taught a black and white kind of way because you need that sense of stability when you're young and growing. Mm. Um, and, and we know that, like we know that young kids, children, they really need to have a high level of security and stability in their lives in order for them to thrive mm. because that becomes a foundation for them. Mm. And I think maybe sometimes that transition from that type of thinking to a more real mm. type of thinking, maybe that doesn't really happen, mm. or at least not formally and therefore... Mm. And the other thing is also that, you know, idea of having a lot of options and being challenged about that. I would consider that I would have a pretty gross mindset. And we've talked about fixed risk growth mindset, course, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, as a quick recap, right, the fixed mindset sort of says the cards you're dealt with are the ones you stick with. And that's what you've got to work so, with. It's yeah. capacity based. Whereas growth mindset is obviously growth based. And so you seek challenges as learning opportunities. So I would say that I've got a growth mindset, but I would still kind of, I still feel like an aversion to having too many options because it just feels in a way, almost like a cognitive resource waste mm. in a way. Like it doesn't feel very, very efficient. efficient. Well, <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to use that I word, that. but <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, yeah. I wonder about that. Maybe that is just a really deeply rooted evolutionary part of the way that we think we, we crave that. But you know, with all of these evolutionary things, I think it's about, we recognize that. And then we apply our conscious thought to try to overcome that and train our brain to think of other th other ways and navigate that. And in a way, like that's like what makes a successful adult, right? Is that they're able to consciously overcome primordial instincts. I think looking retrospectively, though, like you're only going to be as wise as you as you are currently. Just because you've only got like it seems like it's. I heard Neil say the exact normal. same thing yesterday yeah. at church. That's why I was laughing. Just <laughs> um, but yeah, like you're only going to be as wise as you currently are, right? Because you've like the only bit of experience that you've got is the experience that you've got. Like as profound as that sounds, mm -hmm. it's not profound. It's literally mm -hmm. just like from the time you were born up until now, all the experiences that you've had will dictate how you see things and it's never going to be enough it's never going to satisfy us to make decisions you know five to ten years into the future mm. um and so we're stuck in this like paradox like how do we get that experience without actually having it um and like it, it's debilitating to the way and to some extent because you're not always gonna keep on waiting for those five years to try and get that experience before you make some sort of decision that's dependent on having that extra five years worth of experience I'm sure if I explain mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like you um, can't wait forever and yeah, make the decision. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. um, you're just going to be like, we talked about a similar thing with Art and Nick last time, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. like we said, he's well, to make it more clear as well, he yeah. said uncertainty is possibility in yeah. that way. And that was just like, when you look at it in that light, I'm just like, yeah. no, it's not. But like, it is. <laughs> but I like, I think I've rationally accepted it in my head, but emotionally, I haven't come to terms with, with that. If that makes sense. Yeah. I've personally been really working on for the last probably year, year and a half mm -hmm. uh, on trying to separate that 
deciding whether a decision was good or bad based on the outcome that it came from and deciding whether the decision was good or bad based on whether it was the right process mm. at that time. Mm. Cause you could make all the right, uh, um, there's actually a, a business case that's actually taught this way. It says like, if you've got an air traffic controller, mm. they did all these wrong screwed up things and, but the plane luckily was fine. Would you, you then, judge that as a success? Would, yeah, would you say that's a success uh, yeah. and then give them a um, clap on the back and also say that it was a near miss, but they pulled through? Mm. And it was something uh, like a, the majority of business managers would say yes, that they would call that a success and they'd give them a pat on the back for it. But actually it doesn't really make sense because that process is more likely to have resulted in failure mm. repeated again and again and mm. again. Mm. So thinking about it from a consistency process, lifelong point of view. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to be the person that makes a couple good decisions by luck. I want to be a person that statistically is more likely to make cumulative good decisions mm. over time and just eventually rack up benefits. Unless I'm really, really unlucky. In which case, well, I'm screwed anyway. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, big topics as usual. <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't have any other further sort of, Enjoy the journey. I think we're just going to be contemplative tonight. <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's be contemplative. That can be the, <laughs> that can be the homework for you. In fact, uh, interesting question for um, you to tell us about is where do you sit on that spectrum of making decisions and being, you know, judging yourself on the decisions that you made based on the outcome versus kind of rationalizing it on the process. Hopefully that sort of made sense, but it's, I think it's a it, it that is a topic that always ends up as a deep conversation in my experience. You know, Absolutely. everyone has such a personal experience yeah. of that. So, put that out to you. What are your thoughts on that? L let us know if you're on YouTube. Let us know in the comments on Facebook, wherever it is. Send us a message. We'd love to hear more responses. And as usual, if you've got any feedback or suggestions on other topics that we should cover, we're always looking for new ideas or interesting guests to bring on. So, in your hands. And um, of course, as usual. Thanks for listening. Uh, What's he like, gonna come up with this time? Oh, just like. <laughs> like the subscribe button. What? <laughs> <laughs> and make sure to su subscribe, subscribe to the like. Comment. Subscribe <laughs> to the comments and um, comment your like. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Like. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to Subcut. If you guys have any suggestions for content, please make sure you send it through. You can get in touch and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or find us on our website at jttmed.com slash subcut. Subcut is a podcast brought to you by JTT. If you or anyone you know is interested in a career in medicine, make sure to get in touch and check us out at jttmed.com.